And so uh, Pastor Ron spoke into uh, your hearts and your minds, and, and I'm just excited about what God is saying to us as a people, amen? But if you'll remember, we were in a, in a study on First Thessalonians, so we're going back to that, and if you will, I'd like you to go to First Thessalonians 4.18, where we can pick up where we left off. And uh, Paul was, you'll remember, Paul totally fell in love with this group of believers that received his gospel, if you'll remember this, with zeal, right? They received what he preached with such conviction that uh, it, it overwhelmed Paul, and he, he labored among them and poured his heart into them with deep conviction, and he was only with them for three weeks, three Sabbaths. So here a church was birthed in three Sabbaths. He had to escape for his life the uh, the Judaizers and people who were a thorn in Paul's flesh came into that city, tried to disrupt the church, tried to break it up, tried to uh, persuade them not to listen to Paul. And so Paul sent Timothy back to find out a report. How's that church doing? How's that young church hanging in there? And Timothy came back with a good report saying they're strong, they're powerful, they're growing in the Lord. And Paul rejoiced and he was so excited. And that got us into 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. It, just those whole first three chapters was him pouring his heart out for them. And then he said, you know what? We've got to live a life that is holy and right. Hang in there. And then it seems he's answering a question because this infant church wanted to know and, and we pick it up at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. And, and uh, he says this, We don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. So it seems like they had a question. Timothy might have brought back a report uh, that they really wanted to know, what happens to those who fall asleep? Now that's a, a biblical term for those who died. And so they have a concern. What about those who came to Christ, but they died? And we heard Jesus is going to rapture and, and come back. Where do they fit in here? What's going to happen with them? And Paul said, well, let me instruct you. I don't want you to be ignorant. And he makes it a tremendous statement that I typically use at any funeral. And that is, he said that we do not grieve as a people without hope. So what he says is there is still grief. And there should be because grief really is a measure of love, isn't it? When you miss someone, you grieve over them. Their absence breaks your heart. It's not a lack of faith. It's not a, you know, how many of you have ever seen folks who come to funerals and, and they want to be all spiritual and everything and, and say, well, he's in a better place? I know that, but right now he's not with me, right? I know you love your father. I love you, your mother, your, your mate for 30 years, but they're happy now. <laughs> well, thank you, but uh, my heart is broken, right? So there is grief, and grief is okay. Grief is right. But he said we don't grieve like the world grieves because we have something powerful. What is that? Hope. Hope. And this is what he wants them to understand is the hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul wants to instruct them on the doctrine of the first resurrection. The first resurrection. We have hope. And he goes into this. And he says, now, 
We're people who have a hope. And so as he goes on, verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with Him. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So he then goes on and says, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, voice the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the air uh, to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So he's explaining them very quickly what the order of resurrection is. Jesus died and rose from the dead. Paul calls him the first fruits of the dead. Now, how many of you know in Hebrew language what first fruits was? The first fruits was that first sign of the harvest. They were the first buds that began to spring forth. You offered them to God as a sacrifice so that you knew the rest of what would follow would be bountiful, plentiful. And so you watched for the first fruits. Jesus is the first fruits from the dead. Okay? And it says here in 1 Corinthians 15 20, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Again, that means death. All right, so there's an order. And what Paul is saying is this is how the resurrection is going to work. Christ is the very first one resurrected. And there have been no others resurrected, right? Resurrection means not just going to heaven, but having your body changed into incorruptible. This corruptible puts on incorruptible. Okay, this mortal puts on immortality. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was physical, yet he was completely connected spiritually to heaven. They were in an upper room. He walked through a locked door in an upper room. He walked with two on the road to Emmaus, and finally when they sat down and had supper together and recognized who it was with Jesus, boom, he's gone. All right, that's a resurrected body. Now, no one has a resurrected body in heaven except Jesus right now. The man Christ Jesus. There's one who represents all of mankind before the throne of God, and that's Jesus Christ. Now some of you might say, hey, wait a minute. In Matthew it said that when Jesus rose from the dead, the graves opened and people came alive. All right? I truly believe that, but I don't believe that those who came alive were resurrected from the dead. In other words, I don't believe their bodies were changed and transformed into resurrected bodies. I believe they rose from the dead. And there were only a certain number of them, and I think there was that, that those who rose from the dead on that day were those who, were, who died within a matter of weeks. Now that's conjecture on my part, that's an opinion. We don't know who it was that rose from the dead, but they, if you'll read in Matthew, they rose from the dead and they walked around the town. But I think it was much like Lazarus. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but that's not resurrection. He raised from the dead, but what happened to Lazarus? He was going to die again. Right? So I believe that when Jesus was raised from the dead, resurrected, that those tombs that opened and other people that were raised from the dead were not resurrected. Because they couldn't be because Christ had to ascend to the Father. And so I believe they resurrected, walked around, maybe lived for I don't know how many years, but then died again. Because it says Jesus is the first fruits. Okay? So anyone after that, he said, now the second phase of this resurrection 
is that the dead in Christ, all who have died, who are righteous, will come forth, their bodies exhumed, raised up, meeting their spirit and soul that's in heaven, and will be with the Lord. And then there will be those who are still alive on planet earth when Christ returns that are believers, and they will be changed and meet the Lord in the air. And that's the first resurrection. Okay, so that's what takes place in the first resurrection. Now, let's take a look and see what he means by that and what's happening. The Lord's return. And he goes on to say in verse 15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have died, fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So everybody that died will rise from the dead. Now, where were they before? Well, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So their soul and spirit is in the presence of God. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. But what does it mean they will rise? It means that their bodies will meet their soul and spirit and change into a resurrected body as Christ had. Wait a minute. Let's let's think about that for a minute, okay? You know, I mean, like there's people who were burned to death, so there's no body in the grave, right? There's people who lost an arm, uh, in Korea, maybe lost a leg over in Vietnam, lost a body part over here. You know, what's going on? Uh, there are people who died who are in Christ. All the Old Testament saints, those who are righteous, are in Christ, all those who serve God. But their bodies have decayed and they, they went into the ground and, and were buried, maybe not in a tomb or a vault, but just in the dirt. And their body decomposed and, and ended up, you know, in, a, in, in the, the trees and the grass that grew up around it. So what do you do with that? You know, that's why the church always buried people fully, uh, you know, for the expectation of the resurrection. But there are many situations where bodies don't hold together all the time. But that's not essential to the resurrection. And you know what? Science found out that we all have a code within us. We all have a DNA code that all God has to do is He speaks out and the DNA code of the molecules that you were made up of will come together. It'll come together from all over. It's going to be an amazing thing. You know, it'll happen so quickly. It says in the twinkling of an eye. But this thing's going to go bam! And all of a sudden, these molecules and the DNA code of you, it's all going to come together and there you are in a resurrected body and your spirit and soul will meet That's awesome, isn't it? Now that'll happen first. That'll happen before those who are alive on planet Earth when Christ is returning. Those who are alive on planet Earth, they'll go through it while they're alive. Huh? You don't need any. It'll happen so quick, okay? I don't know. I'm sure it won't be painful. But consider a blink of an eye, the twinkle of an eye, right? I mean, you'll be going like this. The Bible says there'll be one in the field and one will be taken, right? You'll be walking along talking to say, hey, you're gone. Resurrected body in the air with the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, that'll be awesome, right? And so he says that's the order. So he says comfort one another with these words. 
edify, build each other up. It's okay that you didn't lose them. They died, but they're with the Lord, and God will include them in the eternal life. They were worried about that. He said, no, God's got this taken care of. It's going to be all right, and they won't be left behind, okay? And so let me help you understand a few things. First of all, what God is doing is speaking of that first resurrection, and it's designed very much like the traditional wedding feasts of Israel. You see, when Jesus was at the Last Supper, he spoke in covenant language or married marriage language. And he said that he would never leave nor forsake us. And he betrothed a bride. Now, whenever you have a betrothal of a bride in, in Jewish customs, the bridegroom would go to the father and he would present the word to the bride. Jesus gave us his word, I'll never leave you nor forsake us. Then he would leave uh, a, a gift or a token and give his gifts so that the, the bride would have the gift that was given to her and then he would drink wine and the wine cup that he would drink with his bride was called the cup of redemption. Now the cup of redemption is the third cup of the Passover meal. And if you'll look and be careful to see in the Gospels that when in, at that last supper at the night of the Passover, when Jesus said, this wine is my blood, guess what cup he was on in the Passover feast? The cup of redemption, which was also the wedding cup. And he would drink the wedding cup and he said, I'm not gonna drink this again till I'm with you, married. And the sign gift that he gave that we're in covenant is his body and blood. Communion, the Eucharist, the Passover. It's his marriage wedding supper for us. Now, what was typical in Jewish custom when he would become betrothed, then the bridegroom would say, I must go and prepare a place for you in my father's house. Did Jesus say this? Yes, he did. And so it was not up to the bridegroom to determine when he could come back, but it was up to the father to determine when he could go for the bride. And what did Jesus say about that? No man knows the day or the hour, nor the angels in heaven. Only my Father knows when I will return. And that's Jewish custom. Jewish custom. And now, what's happened? The bride is waiting. She's waiting, and she collects her, her wedding party together. And as she's waiting for the bridegroom to come, he's hoping that when he comes back, he will see her lit candle waiting for him that there will be faith in the earth when he returns. A bride ready and waiting for him. And when he returns, it was customary, typically for the suspense and the beauty of it all, he'd come back at midnight. And uh, he would come, you wouldn't know what day, what hour, when the bridegroom would return for his bride, but when he came, his, his best man would give a blast on the trumpet and the bridegroom would shout, and, and the declaration, behold, the bridegroom cometh. Make yourself ready. And he would return for his bride. And that's what Paul is saying here. That's exactly what he's talking about. The Jewish folks who were hearing this doctrine got it. They totally understood what he means. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of the archangel, behold, the bridegroom cometh, and the sound of a trumpet blast, and the dead in Christ will rise to him and those who are alive will be changed 
and meet him in the air. That is the first resurrection. Amen? Well, no, it's not, Pastor. That's called the rapture. Well, listen, the rapture is a component, a part of the first resurrection. Okay? The first resurrection is all the righteous being changed, transformed with resurrected bodies. And part of that action is called the rapture. Now, you're not going to find the word rapture in Scripture. What you're going to find is caught up from this verse. Caught up. And uh, the Greek word for that is here, harpose, and it means uh, to be caught up. Now, the Latin uh, is a, a word, Latin word for that is uh, very close to the word rapture, so that's where we get it. And it simply means to catch away, to quickly catch away. We can find it used in many other portions of Scripture, okay? It's not unique as a word. It's a word that simply means to snatch away. Now, the rapture is the part of the first resurrection that applies to those who are alive on planet Earth when Christ returns. All right? But there's already a resurrection of those who are dead. So this is just part B of the first resurrection that happens all at once. Okay, I say part B, but I mean it's going to, again, it's going to happen so quickly at the command of Christ. Okay? All right, so the the rapture is still part of the first resurrection. And there's a a problem so many times because so many teachers try to put uh, an an extra, uh, how can I put it, Uh, an extra righteousness or an extra uh, 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 believing that it's going to take to be ready for the rapture. Are you ready for the rapture? You ready for the rapture? If you're not ready for the rapture, if you're not watching for the rapture, you ain't going to go. Well, if I die, am I going to go to heaven? Yeah. But if you're not ready, you're not going to the rapture. Well, that makes absolutely no sense. How do you have to be ready for the rapture? Just be saved. Just believe Jesus. Your salvation secures you in the rapture. It's not salvation and really a lot of praying and really a lot of effort and really a lot of work. Because there's no work on your part that makes you more righteous. All right? But you can do righteous things for God, obviously, yes. But that doesn't make you more saved. Are you getting this? All right. So the qualification to be in the rapture is to be saved. It's the same qualification to go to heaven when you die. Because it's the same thing. All right? All right. So... The first resurrection, that's why I am going to refer to it as that, because we are rapture crazy. The church is rapture crazy. Rapture, rapture, rapture. Got to go in the rapture. Got to go in the rapture. I don't know when the rapture's coming. Just live every day unto Jesus Christ. That's what he's asking you to do. Stop clock watching. The church is so busy watching the clock, they're not doing the work they're supposed to do. I don't know how many of you hire people. Can you imagine hire someone, and when you hire them, you ask them to dig a trench, right? And as they're digging, they just keep going like this. It's like, dude, what are you looking at? Is it lunch yet? That's what the church is doing. We're so busy looking at the times, discerning the time. Do we know what it is? is it good? Ah, I know who the Antichrist is. The Antichrist is this, and then when Russia comes down in Gog and Magog, and we'll do this and all that. Well, that's cool, but why are you spending so much time on that? 
when no man will know the day and the hour, and you've got unsaved people next to you digging a ditch. Right? Minister, minister, get to work. Will he find faith in the earth? All right, so now let's take a look at what Jesus says about the first resurrection, which means those who are dead in Christ will be raised up and those who are on the earth will be caught away. All right? Same aspect. It's going to be an amazing thing. Now, let's see what Jesus says about it. Luke 14, 14. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection. So Jesus is talking about the resurrection is a time when you will be brought into the presence of Christ. In John 5, 29, and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment of the just. So there's a resurrection for the righteous and there's a resurrection for the unjust. Every human being is going to live for eternity. There's no such thing as annihilation. All right, You don't live and then you're annihilated or there's nothing. Atheists would believe you live and die and that's it. That is not the condition of the human soul because we were created in God's image. The breath of life was brought into mankind and that life is eternal. Whether you're righteous or unrighteous, everybody's going to be resurrected with a new eternal body. One unto the glory of the kingdom of God and the other unto eternal damnation. We've got to get to work. We've got friends, loved ones, people we care about that are going to be eternally damned. Do you care? I have to ask myself, do I care? Right? We can be overwhelmed with that, but with God's help, we can do something about it. Amen? It's where we have to get back to intercession. But you who know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have hope. You're going to be resurrected with Him. Whether you die before He returns or when you're alive when He returns, either way, you will be resurrected. And that's our hope. That's something to live for. Amen? So live all out. You're good. You're in. Live unto God. I hate these people who say when you start talking about being secure in Christ, then that's an excuse to sin. Are you kidding me? It's an excuse to get to work and spend your life for God. A shame, it's a shame for someone who thinks, well, I've got grace, I can do what I want and sin. Really? That's so contrary to the new nature that God put in you. I have eternal life, I'm secure in God, so I'm going to give everything I have to Him. Doesn't that make sense? I hope you're with me on that. 1 Corinthians 15, let's look at it. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at what? The last trumpet. Okay, that identifies that trumpet call. For the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. So he's explaining what's going to happen, right? Uh, Thank God we're going to get rid of this flesh body. My wife and I were talking about this. And uh, we're looking forward to the new body we're going to (laughs) get. A lot of speculation there. and People are like, really, do I got to spend the rest of eternity like this? (laughs) Thank God we're going to be changed. Have a perfect body in Christ. 
And it'll happen so quick, and it will be imperishable. You know what, guys? We've got to get kingdom heads. We've got to get eternal minds. We're thinking so small. We think that everything is within this life. We've been captured by the God of this age to believe everything matters here and now when in reality you're going to live forever, for all eternity. This is going to be but a vapor of life, some 70, 80 years. It's over. Eternity starts. So you've got to pack it in. Amen? Give everything you've got now. Live crazy, zealous lives for Jesus. Give everything you've got to God. Amen? How many of you know the older you get, the more you wish you would have spent more time serving God? What a waste of time. I spent all my time, all my effort doing this and all my effort doing that. Oh my gosh. All right, let's keep going. I could dwell on that. Revelation 24 through 6. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. That's the saints. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. These are all those who got saved during the tribulation. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the 10,000 years ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ. They will reign with Him for a thousand years on planet earth before He creates a new heavens and a new earth. So the first resurrection is those who are dead in Christ and those who are alive when He comes will have a new resurrected body. We will rule and reign with Him as His government comes to planet earth for a thousand years. And King Jesus rules over this planet and over the affairs of a fallen world. It's still a fallen world, but you have resurrected bodies. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be like, beam me up, Scotty. Maybe there's an angel named Scotty. Beam me up, Gabriel. You'll be able to move and flow and, and move in and out. It's like science fiction. Where do you think science fiction comes from? The imagination of men. They tap in to the spiritual reality of what is coming. Isn't that awesome? You'll be going up to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to be talking to you. Did you could you take care of things in over in Ohio? Could I get another region to care for? No, go to Ohio. Check it out. And we'll be moving and we'll be ruling and reigning with the Lord. Isn't that awesome? You and me, we'll be seeing each other. Hey, you remember when we were in church on Wednesday night? We praised God together. This was awesome. How's it going for you? Good. I got trouble over in New Jersey. Because there's still going to be unsaved people in there. But you're part of the first resurrection, right? All right, so, so then there's a thousand years of ruling and reigning still on planet earth that we're involved with moving into the heavenlies. We'll be going into the presence of God and moving out into to the, to the planet and reconstructing this planet over Jesus' authority. We're going to get rid of all these problems of pollution and, and greed and, and covetousness and, and vileness in the earth, and it's going to be beautiful and glorious. The devil be chained up for a thousand years. I'm giving you a, a synopsis of the book of Revelation, right? But there'll be still people who, after a thousand years, there'll be an opportunity. They're unregenerate. They, they may rebel against Jesus, and, and Christ will put an end to all of it. And then comes the second resurrection, which is the great white throne judgment. And all who are not in Christ will be judged eternally. It's done. He cleans up this creation once and for all, and everything's thrown into the trash can. Gehenna, hell. And it's contained there. 
and then a new heavens and new earth. Isn't that awesome? You ever think about that? See? Something to think about. That's the first resurrection. That's what you're a part of. That's what you're a part of. The first resurrection. Let's keep going. When is this going to happen? Now concerning the times and the seasons, he starts in chapter 5. Concerning the times, we always want to know this. I want to be fully informed. I want to know everything that's going on, Jesus. If I'm supposed to trust you, tell me everything. Now, brothers, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. They will not escape. It's going to come like a thief in the night. What thief announces himself? It's going to catch them by surprise. This thing's going to, bam! Right? It's going to happen. All right? So stop trying to figure it out. What is wrong with us? Stop trying to figure it out. Listen to what he says. He goes on. And he says like this, verse 4, But you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. He's coming like a thief in the night to the world. But to believers, it should not surprise us when He comes. He could come any minute. Any time, any minute. And we shouldn't be overwhelmed from it because what are you looking for? Him. Come Lord Jesus. This is out of sight. Now? Yeah! But see, I understand young people because I used to be young a long time ago. And I remember, how many of you remember this? Some of you old people here, right? How many of you remember this? It was like, Jesus... Could you not come yet? Because I'm going to get married. (laughs) Anybody? That was me. I was all about that. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have a kid. (laughs) Don't come yet. I don't experience this. That's a young generation wants that too. That's nothing wrong with that. I understand that. They they, want to experience life. and, And so there's nothing wrong with that. But I know when Christ comes, we will all thank God. That he's here. But it'll be so quick. The world won't expect it because they're not looking for him. They don't even think he exists. Right? Israel's going to see him and they're going to weep as one who weeps over his firstborn whom they've killed. Amazing. All right? Now, but you brothers are not in darkness, so this day shouldn't surprise you like a thief. You're all sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Okay? So we should not be surprised at the coming of Christ. We should be expecting it and knowing it. And so he goes on to say this. Watch. Stay alert. Be aware. You live in the daytime. Keep your eyes open. And I want to spend a few minutes on this word. Awake. Watch. Be watchful. This word appears over and over again in Scripture. That we're to be diligently watching. Let me share some Scriptures with you about the coming of Christ and why we should be watching. And let's work on this together. In Luke 22, 45-46, Jesus said this, At last He stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. While you are sleeping, why are you sleeping, He asked them. Get up and pray, so that you'll not give in to temptation. There's a clue 
on the first coming of Christ. Jesus is about, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, he just shared his wedding vows with the church in the upper room, giving the wine and the blood, the the bread of his body, saying, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to go to my father's house now. We're betrothed to his bride. He's going to then go pay the price for his bride. All right? He's going to give his life. And so they're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter, James, and John come with him. The the disciples come. But those three even go further with him. And he says, pray and watch for me, with me, as I pray to the Father. He goes, we know what he's praying, right? Right? He begins to pray, Father, if there be any other way, but yet not my will, thy will be done, that I must drink from this cup, right? And then, I mean, he's, he's, I mean, he's in a place where he's not just worried about physically dying in his body. He's understanding that he's going to take on the sins of the world. And the judgment of his father for those sins. He begins to sweat profusely and his blood vessels burst in his head as he travails in prayer. And blood comes out of his pores in travail and prayer and seeking. Praying as a high priest over the sacrifice of his own body and for the sin of his own people. And as he gets up because he's weary and he's, he's wrestling over this and he looks to his friends, his followers, his disciples, his students, those whom he's going to pass this burden of the kingdom onto, and he comes and they're sleeping. They're asleep. Hey, don't be too hard on them. Because why does it say they're sleeping? They have been grieving so much. How many of you have ever grieved? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have not been there yet. But I'm talking about a weeping and a wailing that you collapse from. You've spent everything you have in convulsing, in sorrow and grief. It says they fell asleep from weariness of grief. Now they heard everything he said, but they didn't get it. All they know is that everything they left and everything they had forsaken was for him. And now, he's talking about leaving. Uh, Everything. And they're so confused because they saw him healing the sick and raising a man from the dead, walking on water. Come on! And you're going to go now? And they're so distraught that they're spent. That's why he says... The, the, the spirit is willing, but your flesh is what? Weak. That's why we're going to have a resurrection, brothers and sisters. Because this flesh is still under the Adamic nature. And it needs to take on the nature of Christ. Your spirit has, your soul is being transformed, but your body is still of Adam. Right? All right, but he says, watch, watch with me. Watch, why? Here's the key. Here's the key. So you will not give in to temptation. Now I'm going to turn up the heat now. Let's go into these studies. And let's see why we're supposed to watch for the return of Jesus. Let's keep going. Romans 13, 11. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Hey, listen, that was written about 60 AD. It's 2014. You think we're nearer? (laughs) Then we got to wake up. Why do we have to wake up? What did Jesus say? So you will not fall into temptation. 
because this thing is getting out of control. Luke 12, 35-36. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the, uh, whom the master, when he comes, will find what? Watching. Diligent. Prepared. Doing what? must be done in that hour for His return. Matthew 25.5 As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet Him! Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. It's the ten virgins, right? You know this story? And there were five wise and five foolish, right? What's the point of the parable? Be ready. Wisdom. Wisdom is the point of this parable. We, sometimes when we read parables, we put so much imagery in it, we get ourselves messed up. We think, well, it's all about having enough oil. And the oil's the Holy Spirit, so you have to have enough Holy Spirit. Because if you don't have enough Holy Spirit, you're going to miss out. You can't do that. You can't have enough of the Holy Spirit. He's a person. All right? I don't have half a Holy Spirit. You either have Him or you don't. And He doesn't leak out. This is not, you can't cross the reference of oil to the Holy Spirit in this particular parable. It's a parable about being wise or foolish. And the foolish are those who were prepared for the day and the hour. You see, they fall asleep and they slumber. Now here's an interesting thing. If you'll remember when R.T. Kendall was here with us last year, he brought this forth beautifully and he said he believes that what's happening right now is there's a slumber on the church. I believe it too. At least in the United States. But what happens is even before the bridegroom comes, they awake. And it's Kendall's belief that there is going to be a great revival of the church waking up and those who are ready for the return of the bridegroom are those who are prepared for this season and this hour. The others were unprepared for it. All right, It's going to be a great falling away in the church. I don't believe that saved people are going to fall away. I believe those who are falling away are those who say they're Christians, those who act like Christians, but don't know God are going to fall away. Because the heat's going to be turned up and they're not ready for that kind of persecution in that hour and that day. You're going to see the church get smaller and smaller, but you're going to see a fire burn brighter and brighter. Amen? So watch, be ready, so that you don't fall into temptation. We go on. He says this, Mark 13, 32, but concerning the day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep what? Awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, what? 
Stay awake. In other words, do the work. Be involved in the kingdom of God. Be connected. Pouring out what you should be doing in this day and this hour. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. I like this. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Come on. Nobody gets a kick out of that? I get a big kick out of that. Come on. Grow up, you men. Act like men. Be a man. What's a man? I can get drunk real easily. I can put down a case of beer. Really, come on. Be a man. What's a man? What is a man? A man who's got his house in order. A man who serves God with all his heart, mind, soul, and body. A man who understands and studies the Word of God. A man who commands authority into the heavenly realm. Be a man. Who wants to be a man here? Amen? <laughs> Amen. Women, women are going, I want to be a man. <laughs> right. Come on, in the spirit realm, that means take authority. Stand up. Be counted for. Right? You ever see men who are getting ready to fight? You remember this in the schoolyard? Go like this. Come on. Come on. Stick your chest up. Come on. Bring it on. Be a man. Hold your ground. Stand your ground. That's what he's looking for. Come on, church. Right? We don't shrink back. We're ready. We're watching. What are we watching for? See, now this is where there's a, a, a messed up interpretation. Now, I'll get to that in a minute, but look at this. He goes on in 1 Thessalonians, he says, putting on a breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. What is that reference to? The armor of God. When do you wear armor? In a fight. Ephesians 6 says, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand when? In the evil day. Why must we be alert for the coming of Christ? Because he is going to come when this world is going to be more wicked and evil than ever before. And if we aren't in there, what are we supposed to be fighting for? And see, this is what I get. There's two issues I got to address. One is this. This whole watching thing. Everybody says, see, if you're not watching, you're not going in the rapture. If you're not watching, you're not saved. Look at the, the, the being ready for the rapture or the resurrection is being saved. But he wants you fully engaged in your salvation, doing what needs to be done. So there isn't going to be, there was a teaching out there of a partial rapture theory. Anybody hear of the partial rapture theory? This partial rapture theory was taught by uh, friends of the bridegroom or maids of the bride. I don't know. There's just a bunch of different ministries out there. And what they taught was that if you're not ready for the rapture, you're not going. If you're lukewarm, you're not going. Look at if you're lukewarm and Jesus returns, but you're saved, you're still going. All right? Well, how could that be? Because you're saved. If you're saved, you're part of the body of Christ. You, there's, there's no, you know, you don't get lopped off. If you're part of the body of Christ, you're part of the body. Now, this is going to blow your mind, but there may even be people who are in the body of Christ and may be in sin, carnal. And when the Lord returns, guess what? They're getting raptured. Oh, that can't be. That's not fair. I've worked really hard at this. It's not fair. But it's not by what you do. It's by what he did. It's called his blood of Jesus by the grace of God. Do I recommend you stay lukewarm? No. You're going to be miserable. Do I recommend you stay in sin? Absolutely not. You're bound and being beat up by an enemy that you should be defeating. That's just stupid. So carnal Christianity and lukewarm Christianity is just downright stupid. Can I get an amen on it? Anybody been through that? 
You know what I'm talking about. But you're still saved. So please don't go away here thinking I'm giving you license to sin. That's ridiculous. But here's the other thing. What are we getting ready for? Why do we have to watch? So that we will bring souls into the kingdom of God. This is the last chance, folks. This is the last call. When we're watching for the returning of Christ, it's because after that, it's over. You're putting on the armor of God to run into the burning building of souls that are going to hell. You're putting on the armor of God to reach and rescue anybody you can. I hate this rapture mentality of, get me out of here, it's getting crazy now. That is not the kingdom of God. How dare we think, oh, I don't want to get my head cut off. Why not? What's the, what's the difference? Are you going to die by cancer? Die in the hospital? I don't want to die and they'll come against me. And come. What does it matter how you die? You're dead already. You're dead already in Jesus Christ. You have no rights. You've given your life away. And so, listen, God wants a people ready. When He returns, He wants people who you're just grabbing them. Come to Jesus. This is the last chance. Once He starts pouring out the vials, once He starts letting loose the seals, and they begin opening up, do you know why He's doing that? He's doing that to bring the hardened people to repentance. After every judgment in the book of Revelation, it says, and they still did not believe. That tells you the motivation of why He did it. To get them to what? Believe! And He's got an army in the earth that's reaching them as they're rebelling against them. We're busting in and we're knocking things. Come on! Come to Christ! Because we care! And we're watching. There's not much time left. That's the army of God. That's the people of God. Oh my goodness. Watch so that you don't what? Fall into temptation. There is a delusion coming over this planet that would deceive the very elect if it could. But why won't it? Because we will be what? Watching. We're not going to fall asleep under the delusion that's coming to planet Earth. There's a delusion coming so strong where you people are so sick, you people are so prejudiced, you're such hate mongers against homosexuals and gays. It's gonna get worse, it's gonna be other things too. You're so wrong, you people. You Christians are so vile, you're horrible. Get used to it, get ready, but don't get deluded by it. Stand strong, watch, keep your eyes on him, he's coming. Doesn't matter what you say I am, he's coming. I'm gonna love you to the kingdom of God. I'm gonna give my life for you. You hate my guts, but I'm gonna pour my life out for you. I care about you. Do you see what we must do? Now, let's conclude. Sorry, I'm going so long. He says this in 9 and 10, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, in other words, whether we're dead or alive, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as you're doing. Look, at here's the thing. You're going to be with Jesus. So do 
the work of the church of Jesus Christ. Be the bride. The time is short. We must put on the armor of love and hope. You're secure. You're good. So spend your life on saving others. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep. God's not slow or slack in His promises. Seems like a long time, but it'll be over like that. Father God, we pray for the power of Your